The following is a podcast from St. George's Episcopal Church in Arlington, Virginia. We invite you to support the ministries of St. George's Church through a one-time or reoccurring donation. To give, visit our webpage, www.stgeorgeschurch.org. The word saint is spelled in full. St. George's is a vibrant and inclusive community that is committed to loving God, serving others, and changing the world. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Generous God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our Creator, our Redeemer, and our Inspirer. Amen. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. If we hear these words of Christ without context, we might be tempted to think of this as a rather straightforward record of a night watch in the land of Zebulun, or of an overnight fishing excursion in Galilee of the Gentiles, adventures where the arrival of the morning light would have brought renewed hope and strength. Thankfully, our remembrance of the spiritual significance of the Exodus 
in African-American church tradition last weekend can help us remember today that there is a tradition of deliverance that is stronger than just one night, more epic than the dawning of just one single morning, where when we hear the moral arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice, we can recognize that we are invited into that history. Our reading from Isaiah this morning brings us back, back to a loss that happened long before the arrival of Christ and long after the deliverance of the people from slavery in Egypt. When we hear of the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, we are hearing of the land of the lost tribes of Israel. Those northern tribes who had been conquered by Assyria and deported into oblivion spread across the ancient Near East, and many never returning again. The few people who remained had been almost entirely assimilated into Assyrian culture, such that both Samaria and Galilee came to be regarded by many in Jerusalem as two distinct places in the hinterlands during Christ's earthly life, places of perhaps backwardness in the minds of those people at that time. And yet, in Matthew's telling of the story, Galilee is the place Christ chooses to begin his public ministry in fulfillment of the prophecy by calling some common fishermen as his first disciples from that land that had formerly been thought to be abandoned, without hope, without purity, without strength. These were individuals who knew something of poverty and weakness. They weren't the religious or educated elites of that time period. When we hear the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. We are hearing of light, of hope, coming into a place of hopelessness. It might be stereotypical to say, but there actually was a time, if you'll excuse in it, aside, to illustrate this point, there was a time in my childhood when I was afraid of the dark. There was a windowless basement rec room in the house where I grew up that had a light switch at the bottom of the stairs. Thus, in order to turn off the lights, I had to flip the switch and then climb the stairs in the dark. This was a harrowing experience for me as a young child. If I had connected my experience to our psalm today, I might have found a reassuring and affirming prayer. The, light, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? But I didn't have the scriptural literacy in that season of my life to connect my experience to Psalm 27 or even to the more famous Psalm 23, which in the King James declares, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Later in life, I would connect this image of going through the valley of the shadow of death to the spiritual experience of the dark night of the soul, faced at times by those who have experienced loss, who have been close to death or trauma. The image of the dark night of the soul actually came originally from a poem by that mystic of the Counter-Reformation, renewal movement within the church. St. John of the Cross wrote, setting the scene in una noche oscura, in una noche oscura, in an obscure night, 
in Uberland Underhill's translation. St. John of the Cross wrote of the process of a soul being purged on the path toward union with God. In an obscure night, he wrote, In this first verse, the, ver the soul tells the mode and manner which it departs as to its affection from itself and from all things, dying through a true mortification to all of them and to itself to arrive at a sweet and delicious life with God. On one level, it makes no sense for a soul to depart from itself and from all things, dying through a true mortification. But on another level, it makes perfect sense. As our second reading reminded us, for the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. We worship a God who not only became incarnate among us, who not only accepted the pains and disappointments and limitations of a human body in the incarnation. We worship a God who chose to enter into our places of deepest pain, our places of deepest loneliness, our places of deepest shame, our places of deepest fear for the sake of transformation. The cross is the ultimate abandonment of privilege, the ultimate relinquishing of power, the ultimate vulnerability and the ultimate defeat. Christ experienced the absence of his heavenly Father, an absence, God, absence of God that is a natural consequence of sin and brokenness. And he experienced that absence of God so that we wouldn't be alone in our doubts, in our difficulties, in our uncertainties. It's paradoxical that by intentionally and purposefully entering a place of extreme discomfort, God would thereby transform it and fulfill the promise of redemption. It was immediately after calling the first disciples in our gospel reading this morning, immediately after inviting those fishermen to join him in a movement to turn the whole world upside down, that in Matthew's recollection, Jesus led the crowds up on the mountaintop and said, blessed are the poor in spirit. In Luke's recollection, it was a sermon on the plain, and it was a little bit shorter than Matthew remembered it, but still, the point remains. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I certainly felt poor in spirit when I was fleeing the dark as a child. But even without an explicitly scriptural basis for my life choices, I did eventually muster my courage and face my fear. And while my guts were still freaking out every time I had to flip the switch and go up the stairs in that inky blackness, I understood intellectually that there was nothing to be afraid of in the dark of that basement. By intentionally sitting in the dark, I had the opportunity to exercise courage and faith so that I could know deep in my soul that it did not have to be ruled by fear. My practice was to intentionally sit in the dark first for 10 seconds, then for 30 seconds, then for a minute, then for two minutes, and so on, gradually increasing the time over the course of many days until I was finally able to sit in the dark for as many minutes as I would like. And I think Christ's presence was there with me in the darkness, even if I couldn't feel it or name it at the time. After all, Christ is in the business of bringing new life into the places of terror and defeat, into the places of grief and loss, into the places of hopelessness and confusion, just as Christ is continuing to do among us even now in the body of Christ, in this church, and beyond. People who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. 
Amen.